Fulfilling Scripture. That's the title of this week's edition of the Redheaded Preacher podcast for Sunday, January 23rd, 2022. Hi, and thanks for tuning in to this week's version. I'm Richard Lanford. I am the Redheaded Preacher of St. Peter's United Church of Christ in Skokie, Illinois. Fulfilling Scripture, I am borrowing that from Jesus in the Gospel lesson saying, Today, this Scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So we'll be hearing the Gospel passage read by Beth Sturba of Luke 4, verses 14 through 21. Also, readings from Nehemiah, chapter 8, some selected verses and 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through the first half of 31. There's a lot of great stuff in these passages. I could have gone many different ways, and I chose to focus on this, you know, what Jesus is saying and how it has more than one level. And there are, I'm going to lift up three possible levels, or not, well, to me, I'm not thinking them as possible, but three levels. And I'm not saying that there aren't any more. But these are three observations of what it can mean to bring good news to the poor and uh, recovery of sight to the blind. So, I hope you'll enjoy this message and the scriptures. And before we go further, I invite you to pause with me in the spirit of prayer. Merciful God, loving God, source of all wisdom, and patience. We pray that your spirit will anoint our listening and the preaching before it, that you will be lifted up in our hearts and in our minds, that our souls will continue to revolve more and more around you until you are our center. In the name of Christ, amen. And now here's Beth. Eternal Spirit, you flow through the ages from the pages of Scripture, transforming hearts with your challenge, moving those who hear to new acts of faith, courage, and mission. Bless our hearts and minds in the reading of the Word, so that we might know your presence and power more fully. We pray in the name of the living Word, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our first reading is from the book, Nehemiah. Nehemiah lived and governed Israel after the exile in Babylon was over. Now that many Jews had returned and started to rebuild Jerusalem, the people reestablished their spiritual roots by listening to the law. The passage is Nehemiah 8, selected verses from among the first ten verses. All the people gathered together into the square before the water gate. They told the scribe Ezra to bring the book of the law of Moses. Which the law, which the Lord had given to Israel. Accordingly, the prince, the priest Ezra, brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could hear with understanding. This was on the first day of the seventh month. He read it, he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand and the ears of all the people who were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. 
Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. Then they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. So they read from the book, from the law of God, with interpretation. They gave the sense so that people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine, and send portions of them to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord, and do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. This ends the reading from Nehemiah. The epistle reading is from Paul's first letter to the church of Corinth, chapter 12, verses 12, through the first part of verse 31. Paul has been writing about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, how they are spread around to different people, and how they are to be used for the common good. (coughs) Then he likens the church to a human body, and this is where our reading picks up. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all with the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot would say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear would say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, Where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need for you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those members of the body that we think less honorable, we clothe with great honor. And our less respectable members are treated with greater respect. Whereas our more respectable members do not need this. But God has so arranged the body, giving the greater honor to the inferior member, that there may be no dissension within the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. Any God has appointed in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then deeds of power, then gifts of healing, forms of assistance, forms of leadership, various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But strive for the greater gifts. 
Will those who are able please stand for the reading of the Gospel lesson. This morning it is Luke 4, verses 4 through 14 through 21. Jesus has already been baptized and has gone through the testing in the wilderness. Now he returns to begin his public ministry. Then Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee, and a report about him spread through all the surrounding country. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Here ends the reading of the gospel lesson and our scripture for today's service. May God grant us a wise and joyous understanding of this God's holy word. I don't know if you realized it, but what you heard Beth read early on is like a preacher's dream. Think about it. Ezra is going to read from the word and calls for an assembly of the people, and they come. Quote, the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. The people worshiped the Lord. Interpreters went out to gathered groups of this huge gathering, and there were, so there were some smaller groups, I guess, and interpreters went out to make plain to everyone what Ezra was reading. People got emotional, even cried, because the word spoke to them so deeply. The leaders, though, said, don't do that. Go your way. Eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to the Lord your God. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that had been declared to them. Can a preacher wish for a much greater response to his or her preaching from God's word than that? And it ends with sharing with those without. What Jesus read from Isaiah in our gospel passage is also dear to people of the book, preachers and parishioners alike. Now, it's true that next Sunday, when we hear Jesus' sermon and, uh, and the rest of the synagogue story, it does not end quite like it dis, does or did in Nehemiah. But still the ancient prophecies make a lasting impression on God's children. It affects how we treat others, especially those for whom nothing is prepared. In its own ways, listening to the words which Jesus claimed he fulfilled his people can end up making sure that those in need are being cared for in more ways than one. And those who do not think they are in need themselves find that actually they are, and there is good news for them too. Let me 
talk with you about this and how it can bring life in a variety of ways. As most of you know, I went to Bethel College for two years, a Christian liberal arts school run by Swedish Baptists, of which I was neither. I had then an education that I would consider evangelical and academic. This means that those folks, at least then, if not now, would, upon their own reading of Luke 4 and the Isaiah passages, most likely would have an interpretation that I would say spiritualizes faith, Isaiah, and Jesus' mouth. They preach and teach it in mostly a spiritual sense, and the listeners would rejoice, like in Isaiah. This is what I mean by a spiritualizing interpretation. That it's primarily focused on soul salvation. So when Jesus claims that the spirit of Yahweh is upon him to bring good news to the poor, etc., that means spiritual good news to the spiritually impoverished. Those who do not know Jesus, who do not yet know their need for mercy, who may be rich in things, but poor in soul. Jesus came to bring the good news to them. Salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ who atoned for our sins by his blood shed on the cross. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, the captives of sin, of Satan, the prisoners of unbelief and those blinded by the glittering desirables of this world those blinded by their ignorance of their need for God's love. Jesus came to release them and recover their sight for them. To let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke, same idea. Oppressed by sin and guilt, yoked by selfish forces that since Eden rebel against God and the God-shaped hole within us. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor would most likely be understood at the time Christ would return at the end of time to claim his own who are still waiting for him on earth. I am not criticizing this school of thought, except insofar as some of its disciples say this is the only way to understand it. Yes, many people alienated from God are in some ways captured, blinded, oppressed, and spiritually poor alienated from God, as I said, needing the gospel to turn their lives around and be open to the salvation Christ brought and brings. When they find the good news and respond to it, upon further learning, I expect it won't be long before they also share with those in need, send to those for whom nothing is prepared if they did not already before that. Remember Zacchaeus the tax collector and how he responded to the gospel and to meeting Jesus. Now my education and my friends, my denomination and the Holy Spirit have helped me to move beyond just that first interpretation. Jesus' fulfilling scripture and how that changes you and me has other dimensions to it, just as the word salvation itself does. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, Jesus read from Isaiah, and then said, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Wow. There is such a thing as spiritual poverty. 
Being poor can also mean being driven poor by forces seemingly beyond yourself, like the ceaseless allure of of career path fortunes or a family heritage you may not want to linger in but have to, or living only for oneself and therefore ending up kind of poor in most other relationships alone in the end. Cannot Jesus bring good news to those psychologically or emotionally or otherwise poor or captivated? I would say that Jesus is still fulfilling that interpretation of Scripture if the the person's heart is open to him and the mind is willing. Release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind. Sin may or may not be involved, but are there not times when you or I or others we know have become captured by our own pursuits or addicted or get stuck seeing things only through one set of lenses? Mike Royko once called the city called Chicago the city of what's mine. That's a captured mindset. Without realizing it, some persons can become so grounded in meeting their own needs and wants and those of their close family that no other appeal or ethic gets through. Some of this could become class-based entitlement or, or some of it can come from a submerged fear. Some of it is centered on what nation or denomination someone comes from. You and I or others can be captives without realizing it by choosing to not learn anything or anyone who has questions, the answers for which we think we kind of know, so we prefer to ignore the questions. We don't want to go there. It can be the result of decades and centuries of accumulated misinformation, fear, and bigotry, starting perhaps to erode as in when white folks start understanding the injustices of white privilege and to the point where they want to dismantle it as an expression of justice and of loving the neighbor. Or when folks realize LGBTQ people are just that, people. That previous posture held before is something to be released from, to have blinders taken off per se, and see life how others have seen it and lived it. To let the oppressed go free, beyond, for example, coming to grips with our country's full history and white privilege. If you were here last Sunday or caught the YouTube uh, sermon, the service, you'll recall me saying that when Martin Luther King Jr. spoke about freedom from oppression, he meant not only freedom from all the things that prevented people of color to vote, to own property in flourishing neighborhoods and be seen as equal partners in the American dream, He also meant freedom from the oppression inside segregationists that led them to such fear and hatred of their black brothers and sisters. People need to be released, liberated from the worship of their anger, the nursing of negativism, their theology in some cases, and the point of view that says they always have to be right. Always have to be right. That's a prison. There's a need to lift the internal yoke which led them to embrace, not Jesus, 
but unloving, unwilling to listen forces, even violent ones, which perpetuate so much wickedness and injustice. To set the oppressed free from deluded perceptions that it's always somebody else's fault, never theirs. To free us from the egocentrism which refuses to apologize and see just how badly we have truly hurt someone. And then see how it might be fixed, if possible. A self-inventory, if you will, within, leading to recovery of sight, to look and see the man in the mirror with the eyes of others who have something to teach us. Jesus, I believe, fulfills that scripture because he is the supreme self-emptier for us, and he is certainly able to save us from ourselves when we realize that our defects can really damage others and we cannot save ourselves. He will take us and remold us, and when those who need this transformation of orientation turn to him, he will be there. So when people are delivered and opened up for healing inside and out, that's salvation. That's fulfilling scripture, courtesy of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and those whom God uses to reach us if it's us in need. There then is rejoicing. There is a desire that follows to help others who maybe need the same kind of change, the same kind of escape from a narrow, unaware, hurtful ego, or just who need some assistance or companionship, period. Fulfilling scripture, including this powerful prophecy from Isaiah, helps us to interpret Jesus and his mission more thoroughly than just one or two levels of understanding. Jesus fulfilled the scripture. But as he indicated when he gave the Great Commission on Matthew, in Matthew 28, God's work goes on. Paul calls we various members of the church the body of Christ. And it is the church, the body, who continues the work Christ began. Not the salvific work. No one can go to the cross and rise from the dead like him. I mean, that's his mission. Uniquely his. But as far as bringing forth the gospel... You and I have spent some time with these words from Isaiah and Jesus' affirmation of them as being fulfilled in him as they listened. The Spirit of the Lord appointed him to proclaim, to restore, to let the oppressed go free, have the yoke broken. Has the Spirit of the Lord fallen on us to empower us to emulate Jesus as his followers, as parts of that body? Jesus said something to the effect, it was in John's Gospel, that as the Father sent him, now he is sending us. And to quote St. Teresa of Avila, Christ has no body but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes with which he looks, compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands with which he blesses the world. Yours are the hands, yours are the feet, yours are the eyes, you are his body. Christ has no body now but yours, no hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes with which he looks, compassion on the world. 
Christ has no body now on earth but yours. Wanting to bring good news to the poor can be taken literally as a call to fight poverty and hunger. It can be a macro love your neighbor approach. For example, Bread for the World, I've told you about before, it's a Christian nonprofit which both lobbies Congress for bills that fight poverty and boost food supplies, both for the nation and around the world, while also educating people about hunger through its publications. Another example is uh, that led by Reverend Drs. William Barber III and Reverend Liz Theo Harris. They lead the Poor People's Campaign for what they call a third reconstruction. The website says about this third reconstruction, emerging from the pain and organizing power of the 140 million people living in poverty or with low wages in this nation, a congressional resolution for a third reconstruction reflects an omnibus vision for a fundamental restructuring of society that lifts from the bottom. The nonpartisan resolution recognizes, it says, that in order to build a true third reconstruction, we must simultaneously deal with the interlocking injustices of systemic racism, poverty, ecological devastation, and the denial of health care, militarism and the distorted moral narrative of religious nationalism that blames the poor instead of the systems that cause poverty and I would add the perpetually. Bringing good news to the poor can be spiritualized and fulfill the scripture. Bringing good news can be about redirecting, transforming, sometimes unawarely self-centered orientations and stuff buried deep beneath often its fear and healing them so we can heal. That can be seen as Jesus fulfilling scripture. And bringing good news to the poor, like taking off the yoke and celebrating the year of the Lord's favor, which is the year of Jubilee, described in Leviticus 25. That also can have broader, I would say has, not can have, has broader socioeconomic dimensions in which faith-based organizations, like the two of which I spoke, are engaged. And lastly, I would also say that is also a fulfillment of people as God works through people. As members of the body of Jesus Christ, who claimed this as a mission statement, what gifts shall you and I use to keep Christ's work going? Amen. And that will do it for this January 23rd edition of the Red-Headed Preacher podcast. Next week it will be the fourth Sunday after Epiphany, January 30th, and the scriptures per the lectionary, include 1 Corinthians 13 and back to Luke 4, what happened after Jesus said in the, in the, in the Nazareth synagogue, today these, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. That's also the Sunday of our congregation's annual meeting, and so don't be surprised if the sermon has any references to that gathering Uh, that's going to be happening right after our worship service on the 30th. Thank you again for tuning in and for listening. May God bless you and whatever you're going through. May God bless your week. Amen.